I want to start off today's message by talking about the great American experiment. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? The great American experiment? It's the great American experiment that started when America was founded and it continues today. It's the great American experiment in the idea of democracy, representative democracy. Okay? And this is a side note. Not, not mainly about my sermon, but we are not a participative democracy in our country where everybody's vote counts. We are a representative democracy in almost everything. We elect representatives to make those decisions for us. There are some exceptions, constitutional amendments, things like that. But with that being said, what about this great American experience, uh, experiment you know, encourages you? I mean, it's been, it's been good, right? There's been some good things that have come out of it. Right? I mean, we came to America, many of our, our forefathers came to America because they wanted the freedom to worship God in a way that they saw fit. A very good chunk of our forefathers saw fit to worship God in ways that you and I would not accept. We would not say that, that they were acceptable ways, but, but nonetheless they could worship in that way. And others would worship similarly to us. And that's good. Our faith was allowed to be involved in our decisions and and all those things. And that's some of the good stuff. There's other good things. Inside Inside of this great American experiment, people can change classes. It's not like in India where you're born into a certain class, into a certain caste, and that's what you're stuck in. And I know some people think sometimes we're stuck in certain systems, but the reality is you can raise up past where you came out. If you could come out of the, out of the hood and end up in the governor's mansion, right? You could come out of the hard side of town and end up on easy street, or you could, or you could start out rich and end up Busted flat in Baton Rouge. Right? This is the great thing about democracy. This is the great thing about this experiment that's been going on. No other nation had tried this quite this way. There's been some cool things that have come out of it. Some of the cool things that have come out of it. I can own property. We may not think that that's a big deal. But there are countries where people are not allowed to own property. But we can own property. We can claim that this is our homestead and this is where we're going to live. There's a lot of great things that come out of it. It's been a really neat experiment. And it's a neat experiment that continues on. But And and I could go on and on and on and on and on about the positive things. But you know there's some negative things too. With every system, every good system has downsides as well. And I think, for me, the biggest downside of this system is the rugged independence that this system sometimes breeds in us. I'm not talking about healthy independence. Okay? There's a healthy independence. You know, I mean, the scripture says, if a man won't work, don't let him eat. So, I mean, that's teaching that we should be able to get out there and do something. Amen. Amen. Is anybody awake this morning? Amen. Amen. Okay. So that that's a healthy independence. But I'm talking about this rugged individualism that says, you can't tell me what to do. I don't need you. And that's happening more and more and more. Now, I would say this, it's not happening to the extreme that I'm getting ready to talk about with, with tons and tons of people, but the amount of people that the extreme I'm getting ready to talk about that it's happening with is growing. I'm talking about this kind of independence where these radical extremist groups are starting to raise up and they're saying, you're not like me, I don't agree with you, not only do I not need you, I think I might just kill you. We have groups like that raising up in our country, right? I'm not talking about the groups that are out there saying 
healthy things like we have a right to keep and bear arms. I got a right to have a concealed carry. There's probably a bunch of you in the room right now that are like, don't make me get it out, preacher. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, you know, that's a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, we have this right to keep and bear arms inside. But what about these extremist groups that say, I'm going to kill you if you don't agree with me on this. I'm not talking about groups that are going about healthy. There's this group that um, called Come and Take It. I think it's a good group. They have Come and Take It Austin. They're not allowed to carry pistols in Texas. But they can carry rifles. And these guys will go down and they will just walk around downtown once a month with rifles just to bring awareness to people that they can have the right to keep and bear arms. And they're not being confrontational. They're just trying to start conversations. I've watched the films on it. Really neat. Okay, Not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about the people who are like, if you try, they build their little compound. They set up their perimeter guard. And they say, come on, government. I'll gun you down. That's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. And I think this is starting to bleed over into other areas of life. I mean, there's checks and balances inside of our system that says nobody can go too far. But some people are pushing it too far, and so the opposite extreme is, well, we're going to push the other way even further. And I don't think this is healthy. These extreme cases are not the norm yet, but it's highlighting a growing trend of thought processes in America. The number of extremist groups who have an ideology of, I will shoot you if you disagree with me, has increased dramatically in the last few years. I'm not, and again, I'm, I want to say this because I know this has the, op, the, the chance of coming across wrong. I'm not talking about the healthy things that many of us are involved in. I'm talking about extremist ideology. But this is bleeding over into other areas in our culture. And it's causing things like this, where submission has now become a dirty word in a culture of independence. Today I'm going to be preaching on submission. And there are many of you who just inwardly cringed. I would argue that if you're inwardly cringing, the ideology, the radical ideology, though it's not all the way in you yet, is trying to creep in. Submission is a biblical concept. If you want to know Jerry Breedlove's philosophy of ministry as the Lord has given it to me, several years ago. It didn't change when I came here. Today's sermon and at least the next four are going to spell that out. It's because I'm sitting in my office and I'm reading this. Specifically this part, which I'm not preaching on today. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature believers, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I'm in my office Tuesday. I'm reading this and I'm like, Lord, this is the bad side to preaching through a book of the Bible. I'm looking at this and I'm like, Lord i got to get up there and say this two weeks from now? Like, this is harsh. Like, how does this even apply? I mean, am I supposed to get up there and say, OCCA, you stink! You know, I mean, doesn't that kind of sound that way? Like, the scriptures, that kind of sounds like, you know, you're not doing this well. And I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? You told me to preach through this book. What am I supposed to do with this? I'm not going to skip it. Because that's why you preach through a book. You can't skip the hard stuff. You can't skip the stuff you don't like. And I'm reading this and I'm going. Mm. And the Lord said to me, Jerry, read the verses before it that you're going to preach on this week. 
what does that all say? And I'm like, I don't know, Lord, what's it saying? He said, it's about discipleship. This is all about discipleship. And about what happens when discipleship is not done in a healthy manner. What did I teach you about discipleship? I, I rattled back off to the Lord, and he's like, yes. Do you see how that fits with what you're looking at here? And I'm like, oh, I get it. <clears throat> and so I said, all right, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what we're talking about, submission in the, in the, in the, in the idea of discipleship. You know why I think submission has become a dirty word? Because we associate submission with abuse. Right? And in many times, we are asked to submit to abusive things. Like late-term abortions. Those are kind of abusive. I would go so far as to say those are not only abusive to the baby, that's abusive to the woman. But, oh, no, we have to submit. We have to let these things happen. Now, I want you to understand something. I don't believe a law is going to fix that. I believe hearts being changed one at a time will fix that. doesn't mean I won't vote for a law to change it, but I'm just saying one at a time, one heart at a time will change that. Amen? But that's the kind of stuff that I think maybe gets us thinking submission equals abuse. Somebody claims to have authority and actually legitimate authority. They have the legitimate position of power and sometimes people in legitimate positions of power abuse that authority. I recognize that. And that causes us to think that submission is a dirty word. But submission is something that is taught inside of the Scriptures. And in reality, inside of each one of us, we believe that submission is a good idea. We may not be able to articulate it all the time what a good idea we think it is. But we do believe it's a good idea, most of us. Let me give you an example. How many of you want to see another 9-11 happen where buildings are knocked down by terrorists? Anybody? No. So we think submitting to the TSA, even though it's annoying when we go through the line, is a good idea to make sure there's no hijackings. Can I get a witness? Amen? Right? How many of you want a person coming through your neighborhood on your 25 mile an hour street doing 80 and running over one of your kids? Raise your hand if you want that to happen. So we think submission to the traffic laws is a good idea. Amen? Amen. We think people should be submissive. And I'm saying all this because I want you to separate in your mind. I want you to say... The word submission is not a dirty word, though sometimes I felt that it is in my life. What is the dirty word is the abuse of power. And that is not a synonym with submission. That is not a synonym with submission. I don't think the, the, the fear of the abuse of power is a legitimate reason to cringe at submission. I don't think because somebody abuses something that I should cringe at submitting to those in authority over me in the alliance. Or that I should cringe at submitting mutually to the elders. The elders and I, we're mutually submitted to one another. We're a group of leaders working together. Mutual submission. There is no one elder, myself included, that can tell the other elders, you have to obey me. We are collectively submitted to one another as a group. And this is a good thing. Board of Ministries, where no one Board of Ministries member gets to come in and say, this is the way it is. This is the hog that ate the cabbage. And that's how it's going to be. No. We're collectively submitted to one another, working together. And we see submission as a good thing. Amen? So I want you to start thinking submission might actually be a good idea. And then, let's read this scripture. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. I'm going to read that again. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. 
but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all him obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask you, help us to understand submission in a healthy way. Lord, I don't believe that we want to be rebels. Lord, I generally believe that most of us want to submit and follow you. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to be here. But Lord, the world has twisted some of the teachings of our faith. And our goal today is to claim those teachings back in a proper way. So we ask you to have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. So we're going to look at Jesus' example out of this passage of Scripture to, to study submission. To look at submission. According to the Nicene Creed, Jesus is very God of very God. Think about that in the Nicene Creed. Jesus is very God of very God. That's the way, that's, that's the Nicene way of saying, Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. There is nobody above him. He is all in all. Lord of Lord, King of Kings, the great I am. I mean, Jesus, when it comes down to like, when you know, you say, who's the man? Jesus. He's the man. Amen. You know, I mean, he's in charge. There's no doubt about it. Jesus is in charge. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some of you have father wounds. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But that's a sermon for another day. Jesus was the ultimate authority. But you guys, you know what? Jesus modeled a life of submission as as an example for us to follow. That's what it says here in verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Listen, Jesus had all the authority he needed to go up and say, Oh, the priesthood? Yes. I'll take that. I am priest. Now I will rule as priest king. He could do that. It was his prerogative. But in the great mystery of the Trinity, he submitted himself to the Father, did not exalt himself, though he could. Scripture tells us in another place, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. It doesn't mean he wasn't equal with God. Some of you think, well, that means he wasn't equal. No. He was saying as a man, he didn't. Con- he was fully God and fully man. And as a fully man, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He subjected his will as a man to the Father. He could have taken the priesthood, but he, no. He submitted and waited for God to appoint that to him. Interestingly enough, he is not from the lineage of Aaron. He is not from the tribe of Levi. He is from the tribe of Judah. Which according to the Old Testament law, the priests would be direct descendants of Aaron. Jesus isn't. Now there was a lot of prophecies about out of Judah arising a priest king. But he could go and take this, and he didn't. He did this as an example to us. 
I mean, if anybody had a right to not submit, to, to say, nope, I'm going to do it my way, isn't it very God of very God? I mean, who makes God obey? I want you to shout it out. Who makes God obey? Let's do it again. Who makes God obey? There's no cosmic rules out there that God has to conform to. Friends, He's the maker of the rules. He is the self-existent one. Time did not even exist until God created it. He exists outside of time. Some of you are going, I don't know, Pastor. Yeah, read the Genesis account. Morning and evening, the first day. Morning and evening, the second day. There was a time when there was no time. That's a paradox, right? <laughs> but, you know. But Jesus, he did this as an example for us to follow. I mean, he's very God of very God. He could take it, but he didn't because he wanted us to imitate him. He wanted to show us how to do it. How to live this way that he intended for us to live. I mean, this goes all the way back to the fall of man. God just told Adam and Eve, just obey this one rule. Just submit in this one area. Do whatever you can think of. Just do not eat from that tree. And the enemy of our souls is the one who made submission a dirty word. Not somebody who's spiritual. Not somebody who's following Jesus. Satan made submission a dirty word. All the way back at the beginning of time. Did God really say? Oh, let me put a doubt inside of your mind why God said that. He said that because he knows that on the day you do it, you're going to be like him. And, and you won't be under his thumb anymore. And you'll know good from evil. And he, does, he wants to hold you down. I mean, isn't that really what Satan was saying? Isn't that the gist of it? God doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you under his thumb. He wants to keep you pressed down. He knows that if you eat of that fruit, that's the only thing separating you and him. Ha! What a lie! What a lie! Right? I'm not going to do it. I already said the technical word. You can think the other word in your mind. But it's a lie. The enemy is the one who made submission a dirty word. If you actually believe that, that it's Satan who made submission a dirty word, would you say it with me? And if you don't, don't say it. I'm just trying to get some feedback on how, if I should move on. Say, Satan made submission a dirty word. Satan made... Okay, there's enough of you at least that believe it. I'm going to move on. Satan's the one who did that. Okay? Not somebody who's godly. I think Satan still does it with us. You know, submission, though, was not something that Jesus appeared to enjoy every second of. But through submission, he learned obedience. Just look at verse 7 and 8 in your Bible, and I'll read it along in my Bible here. And you just tell me if this sounds like Jesus is having a good time. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with shouts of hooray and woohoo! No! With loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Friends, I think Satan still makes submission a dirty word in our mind because sometimes people ask us to submit to things that we don't like. Can I just, can I just tell you something? Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not from God. I don't hear any amens. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not from God. Jesus didn't like it. 
I don't usually have loud cries and tears when I like it. I don't usually call stuff suffering that I like. Right? We, we submit to things that we like. Let me give you an example. This is not a political speech. Okay? A lot of Christians right now, primarily white evangelicals, most of which are, we are all white almost, no. But you know, like people like us, and we're, we don't like Obama, and so we're like, we can't submit to him. I'm not saying that everything the guy does is right. I'm saying the scripture says all authority is from God, including the one we don't like. I'm just, and I'm not, again, not a political speech. I'm just trying to use something real to help you see what I mean about not submitting to stuff we don't like. We get mad if we don't like it and go, I'm not doing that. I'm not following that. Right? Black evangelicals feel the same way that many of us feel about Obama anytime there's a Republican president. We get mad because we don't like it. I can't submit to that. I don't like it. We say, well, it's not godly authority, so therefore it's not from God. We don't have to submit. Really? Yeah, Paul had in mind godly authority. Really? When he said that to the church at Rome, he had in mind godly authority. While he was writing it, and he actually said to government authorities... While he was writing it, it was illegal to be a Christian in Rome and they were being martyred for their faith. He was, he ends up going into Rome and gets chained to the Praetorian Guard. He's under house arrest because of his faith. John is exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus. It wasn't until several hundred years after Jesus left and after the apostles were all dead that Constantine Declared Christianity cultus legalis, meaning a legal religion. The little fish that we all, well, we don't all, but some of us put on our car, you know, the little ichthus fish. That was the symbol, and they'd draw it in the dirt with their foot while they were talking so that people would see the ichthus fish, and then they'd wipe it out so that the Roman authorities could come by and grab them and take them and kill them. Paul says, submit to these authorities. Whoa. He didn't say what they were doing is right. He's simply saying rebellion is not the way to win them over. Going and picking a fight is not the way to win them over. And sometimes we have to fight. I understand that. But just because we don't agree with somebody doesn't mean that we shouldn't submit to them. So I want to just go over what I'm saying very quickly one more time about this. Our disagreement does not give us automatic grounds to disobey. Sometimes we have grounds to disobey. Just because we like it doesn't mean it's automatic. Right? So if the government authorities come in and tell me to put a gun to my wife's head and kill her, I don't have automatic right to disobey. I need to say, Lord, is this what you want? And if he tells me, no, don't follow him, then I don't follow him. Honey, you're safe. I'm not going to kill you. <clears throat> but just because we don't like something doesn't mean we get automatic. It might serve as a check sometimes, but there are many times we need to submit to something or someone that we do not like just because it's right to do so. I don't agree with you, but you're in charge, and I'll do it. We know that this is true. Do you like everything that happens at where you work? No. Do you want to keep your job? Most of you are like, yes. So you submit even though you don't like it. Because you're not the one that gets to make the rules. Now some of you are rule makers at work. Remember, not everybody likes everything you're doing. Right? But we, we, know, we know somewhere inside of us it's right to submit even when we don't like it. Like, our automatic response should be, okay, I'll submit 
unless God tells me not to. Not, I'm going to rebel unless God tells me not to rebel. You, you picking up what I'm dropping? Amen? Now, I said it might serve as a check. I'm going to give you an example where it's definitely a check. In the newspaper last week, I believe it was last week, could have been the week before, there was a man who, I think it was 195 charges, it was over 190 charges of sexual abuse to children. Okay? He said, he's quoted in the paper of saying, people asking me if I do this because I'm sick. No, I'm not sick. I do it because I like it. Okay? The fact that somebody asked him to follow a law that he didn't like, which was not touching them, should have served as a check for him to not go his own way and do his own thing. Amen? He said, he said this, and I, I couldn't have paid for this example to be in the paper, and it's a tragedy, and let's just be honest with one another. The guy needs to be handled. I was going to leave it at that. Okay? It's not okay. He said, I like it. I'm doing it because I like it. We want that guy to submit, don't we? Can I get a witness? So, so that, you know, there should be some checks here when we get told things we don't like and, you know, and there should be some checks and balances going on inside of us. So understand, I am not saying there's like this blanket rule. I'm not saying there's this rule book of how we can figure out whether we should submit or not. Every situation we've got to pray through. Some of them are pretty doggone obvious to me. They may not be as obvious to Fran. Some of them are pretty obvious to Fran. They may not be as obvious to me. But this is what happens when people don't submit. Amen? And so there's a place. We know submission is good. Jesus also showed us that by being a good follower, first, by submitting, Jesus became the quintessential leader. By being a good follower first, Jesus became the quintessential leader. Now, some of you are, you know, going through school right now and you don't know what quintessential means. Like the perfect ultimate example of leader. Like the highest. But he was a good follower first. He modeled this for us. He followed first. There is this relationship between followers and leaders. I want to suggest to you today, you cannot be a good leader, an effective leader, a healthy leader, unless you are first a good follower. Jack Welch was the CEO of GE. He didn't invent the Six Sigma process. The, the whole thing they call Six Sigma, that was done by Motorola. But while he was the CEO of GE, he really is the one who brought all that to the forefront. He didn't start off as the CEO. Do you know Jack Welch has his PhD in chemical engineering? It's Dr. Jack Welch, not CEO Jack Welch. And he first submitted to that company and followed the orders of those who were over him and as he was a good leader, good follower, in due time he was raised up to be the leader. Just like Jesus. And I don't know where Jack is in his faith. I don't know if he knows Jesus or doesn't know Jesus. But I'm just saying, whether he knows Jesus or not, he shows the example. He was a good follower first. And then became a great leader. You can't be a good leader without first being a good follower. And I want to tell you about this relationship between followers and leaders. When you are a leader, you can't stay a good leader unless you're a good follower. Because there's always somebody higher up the chain. There's always somebody who's in charge of some area. And you still have to be a good follower. Can I get a witness? How many of you have some leadership responsibility in life? Raise your hand. 
Okay, if you have your hand up, put it down if you have no followership responsibility. Most of us keeping our hands up because there's other areas of our life where we have to be followers. Amen? Listen, this isn't something that I'm sitting up here trying to boss you around as your pastor and say you've got to submit to everything. I have two people in my life, not counting the ones inside the local church, that I willingly submit to as a follower who have permission to call me out on my weaknesses, who have permission to say to me, dude, this is stupid what you're doing. You need to back up. Because I want to be a good leader. I want to be the best leader I can be here. And so I submit to somebody else and say, I will be a follower. You call me out on my weaknesses. You show me where I'm not walking like Jesus would walk. I will tell you everything that's going on in my life. And you feel free to call me out on it. Because I want to be a good leader. If it wasn't for those two people in my life, there's no way I'd be your guys' pastor right now. You think I'm rough now with some of the decisions I make. You should have met me 10 years ago. Right? And y'all are like, wow. He was like 20 grit sandpaper. Like a big boulder just rubbing on us. One grit. (laughs) You know, the Lord's smoothing me out. Right? Through people that I'm submitted to. I'm looking at Jesus' example and I say, I got to be a good follower before I can be a good leader. That's what Jesus did. He submitted. Look, although he was the son, he learned obedience. He learned to be a follower through suffering. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He learned to obey and then he taught others to obey. He learned he was a follower first. I could go on, but I won't. What's the word that's not supposed to be a dirty word? Submission. Let's say it really fast. One word, one word answer. Who made submission a dirty word? So what's our response supposed to be? What's our response supposed to be? I told you at the beginning of the sermon, this passage of Scripture connects right to, right to the end of the chapter. Unfortunately for me, I have to wrestle with this. I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord's like, hey, it all connects. It's all about discipleship. You're seeing the process of discipleship that I showed you years ago. And it connects, and we're going to be going over this. I wrestled with how to, and I told you this earlier this week, I, that earlier this week I was wrestling with, Lord, how do I teach the end of, of chapter 5 to this congregation? Because, here's the bottom line, hear my heart, I don't think any of us, or if there are some of us, the vast majority of us, I don't think want to be rebels. I don't think we're here to be rebels. I think we, I think we want to grow in the Lord. I think that's why we're coming, Amen. I don't think it's like, I'm going to come so I can just tell everybody, you can't boss me around. No, I mean, I don't see that happening. I'm not saying we don't have moments, right? I mean, come on, I got moments, you know. So so don't hear me saying, I got to smack the congregation. No, that's why I wrestle with, I'm like, Lord, how in the world am I supposed to bring this up? I don't think this is a matter inside of our body where people are like willingly pursuing a path of rebellion. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to bring this up? And the Lord, he said, remember what I taught you about discipleship. I I told you all this, right? Chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 seems pretty harsh, but then the Lord reminded me. I know. He, he, He said, think about it, Jerry. And I thought about it. He said, this passage relates. Remember the basic principles of discipleship that I told you. Submitting, learning, following, and leading. And those are not, don't write them down. I purposely am vague. Because I'm not going to, because I have to teach through this very carefully. For everybody to understand. Because what I want everybody to understand today is submission does not mean you let people abuse you. Can I get a witness? Amen? Submission does not mean you let people abuse you. My cousin says something like this, hurt me once, shame on you, hurt me twice, shame on me. You know, I, it doesn't mean I'm going to put myself in an, in an abusive situation. That's not submission. That's just silliness. 
But the Lord reminded me. I, years ago, I feel like the Lord was showing me some stuff about discipleship, and I was struggling with how to articulate it to, to the people that I was talking to at that time. And the Lord brought into my life a book by a guy named Bill Hull called Choose the Life. The principles that I'm talking about, the wording of them, I stole from Bill Hull. God had shown me the truth of this, and then I came across this book, and I'm like, ooh, he said it in a way that people will be able to understand. And sometimes I need help. Help, you know. Sometimes I say stuff, and people are like, do what? So he brought this book into my life called Choose the Life. If you want to order a copy of this book, feel free. Feel free. I, I think it would be beneficial. But I'm going to teach you the basic five principles out of this book. And understanding that his wording is what God was already doing inside of my heart. And I don't feel like I need to reinvent the wheel all the time. Amen? Like we can learn from other people. And this guy's not alliance. <gasps> Some of you think I'm like anti-anybody outside the alliance. I say like Rafiki on the Lion King. Rock again! I love that character. But anyway... I'm going to be teaching this to you over the next month, month and a half, two months, however long it takes to go through it, right? What he's teaching in here. And we're going to look at today's, our, our first response. Our first response is the first principle of discipleship. I've already talked about it today. And this is how Bill Hull words it, or pretty close to how he words it. A disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her to follow Jesus. A disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her to follow Jesus. Another way to phrase it would be like this. A disciple learns to follow the leader first so that she can turn around and lead others effectively later. See, you can't be a good leader unless you're a good follower first. And I'm going to tell you something. This is where I do get kind of hard. If you're not submitted to a teacher, you're not a disciple. Jesus never said Christianity was supposed to be a home correspondence course. He taught that it happens in the context of community, in loving submission, mutual submission to one another. I mean, he even teaches this in the context of marriages. Like guys really like to quote part of Ephesians chapter 5, like the latter half of it. Wives, you submit. Excuse me, they like to quote the first part of it. Wives, you submit to your husbands and obey him. They don't like to quote the latter half of it. Which is, and likewise, husbands submit also to your wives and lovers. Christ loved the church. That's the part of scripture we don't like to quote, guys. <laughs> High five me, Carol. <laughs> See, there was like one woman who was bold enough to say it. So. <laughs> when Jeff is walking with a limp at Awana tonight, y'all know what happened. <laughs> so, anyway. We had to submit. We've got to submit. This is not optional. Jesus taught submission. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The, you, I want everybody to do me a favor. Look at your husband or your wife or your kids, whoever you're close to. Look at them and say, you're not my cross. Jesus wasn't saying you need to take up your difficult people. Right? And sometimes as husbands and wives, we feel like our husband or wife is difficult, right? <laughs> Except for Sarah, because she's in submission too. And if I'm limping, you know what happened. So, but you, you know, he's, this, no, he's saying death to self, death to what you want. You have to die to yourself. You have to submit. 
But I know this is scary. I know this idea of, of submission is a scary thing. I know it's, it, it, man, it makes me nervous. Let me tell you something. When I was in the process of going to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, to pastor an international church there, which I still believe was God's perfect will for my life, it fell apart for things that were not, not what God wanted. Some of you say, no, God's will is always done. I don't agree with that. Okay? God wills that every Christian remains sexually pure, but not everyone is, right? God, God's willing that, every, that nobody goes to hell, but there are people going to hell, right? God wills that you know, people obey, and there are people that are disobeying, right? Amen? Like We have like free will coupled with God's perfect general will that will be done. His general will will be accomplished, but He has permissive will that we can mess up and wreck, Right? But as I was going to Mongolia, I told one of these guys who's my coach, I said to him, I said, Ron, I feel like this is what the Lord's telling me. But I trust that God is using you in my life. He has no legal authority over me. He's not over me in the alliance. He's an older black pastor in his 60s. He's like everything I'm not. Because I need that balance in my life. Right? You can't get somebody more opposite than me. He said, if you say that you don't think I'm supposed to go, I won't go. He said, no, I actually think you are supposed to go. But I would have let him veto it. Ron prayed just as much about me becoming your pastor as I prayed about it and you prayed about it. Maybe even more. Because I said, Ron... If you say I'm not supposed to go, I won't go. I submit to your authority. Now listen, I'm not saying we need to submit to everybody's like that. You know, not everybody's completely safe to submit to like that. Amen? You submit to everybody like that, somebody's going to jack you up. I'm just saying. So you, that comes with the relationship and building and all those kind of things. But I submitted to him. And I'm saying that we have to be able to submit to one another that that is the first step in the process of discipleship. So I want you to write down the top thing. A disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to follow Jesus. Write that down. Here's my hope. I'm hoping the first thing that happens is that you memorize this here. That a disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to be like Jesus. Because let me tell you something. Head knowledge is not bad. It's only bad if we stop there. Let's memorize it. I want to encourage you to memorize it. If you can't get it word for word, I don't care. Get the principle. Amen? A disciple submits to a teacher. And then we're going to move that down into the heart. And then coming out of our hands. How we're actually living. And I know that some of you are struggling with this. Because even though I tried to do a good job today of explaining that submission doesn't mean letting us be abused, it's still a difficult concept. So, as always, I have homework. Monday, Philippians 2, chapter 1 through 11. Tuesday, Philippians 2, chapter 12 through 8, or excuse me, not, wow, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Tuesday, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Wednesday, Romans 15, 1 through 7. Thursday, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Friday, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. And Saturday, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. All these scriptures, just keep writing them down or take your picture, whatever it is you're doing, but listen to me, and then we're going to end. We're going to have uh, worship with our tithes and offerings right after this. All of these scriptures, but especially Saturday's homework, is about submission But it is also about those who are more mature in the discipleship relationship not abusing the people who are submitting to them. Let me give you the example from Saturdays. Let me give you the most common abuse I see inside the church when we're abusing people. We call it Christian liberty. Well, it's, I'm not convicted and it's not sin, so I can do this, and what you think about it doesn't matter. That on Saturday says you're abusing somebody if you're doing that. It says that you don't do it for sake of conscience. And Paul says in there, why should I let my, my, my actions be controlled by somebody else's conscience? 
He doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say that he shouldn't. He says that he should. He doesn't answer why. He answers why in other places because we don't set stumbling blocks before our brothers and sisters. We don't abuse people. All of these passages are about submission, but also not but also the person who's being submitted to not abusing the submitter. I will give you my word. I am going to speak for all of the elders and I cuz I know they will back this up. If you willingly submit to someone in this church who is who's going to disciple you and they start abusing you, we will put a stop to it. We will not let people abuse you. We will put a stop to it. Now that, I, now that I've spoken for all five of the elders, does anybody, does any of the elders have a problem with what I just said? Will we not, we will not let people abuse other people in this church. Amen? Okay. So we don't have a problem with that. I knew they'd go with it because I knew, I know their hearts on this. We're not going to let people abuse you. So if you come to a place where you say, I will willingly submit to be discipled and somebody's abusing you, you come and talk to us, we will coach you on how to talk with them one-on-one. Because that's the first step in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. If it's not working, we'll help you to see how to take two or three witnesses. And if it's not working, you can bring them to the church, which is the five of us, and we will sit down and handle it. Because we believe in this. That's why our elders get together with our wives every other Sunday night in mutual submission to one another so that we can grow in the Lord and be discipled and disciple one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father... Submission is sometimes a scary thing because Satan has made it a dirty word. He did it right at the fall saying, did God really? Leading us with a implication to believe that God wants to abuse us. But Lord, we know you don't want us to be abused. But at the same time, you want us to submit. So we ask you to begin to work this in us. And Lord, I I pray in this working in us, it will be mutual submission. Not elders or training ground teachers or whatever lording their authority over another person, but mutually submitting to one another out of reverence for you and love for you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen and Amen.